Over these next few Sundays together, we will be spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're turning to John chapter 1, and we're reading verses 29 to 34. We're coming into John's Gospel at chapter 1, about two-thirds of the way through that opening chapter, and it is a spectacular chapter. And John the Baptist has been busy baptizing people in the Jordan River, and the focus is on John and his experience with Jesus. So we come to John 1:29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, "Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. These first few days, each January is that time of year when many of us do a little forward planning Some of us go beyond forward planning and begin to ask deeper questions. And usually the question we ask is, is it not time I was back at the gym and exercising? And for many of us, we've already asked that question. Others of us, having put on a few pounds over Christmas and the New Year extravaganza, have said, okay, that's it. I need to eat a little more healthier as I get into 2020. Others of us, of course, are looking forward to bigger events later in the year. Some of us, as families and friends, have been planning attending weddings where we will go on vacation. And as we look forward over the year, most of us will not simply say, I know it's coming, or I'm conscious that I'm going to a wedding or something of that nature. We will, of course, start to plan and prepare and to pray as well. And that's only natural and right. But let me ask you to go just a little deeper this morning and ask that if over these last five days of the new year, have you asked yourself some questions about your relationship with the Lord, putting Him first in your decisions, giving Him the first thought when a major issue is coming your way, Spending time thinking, now, if I do take this action or I do take that action, Lord, guide me, lead me, show me the way forward here. As much as you're planning and preparing and praying for the normal, natural rhythms and seasons of life, are you putting the same amount of work and concentrated, prayerful effort into your relationship with Him? And if you are, I have several questions for you this morning. Some of these questions we've used over the last couple of years in this opening Sunday of January, 
I said earlier that we will give them to you next week. In fact, we printed them today at the bottom of your sermon study notes. And the questions you're about to see up on the screen are right there for you. Please take it home. You can cut off that bottom uh, section, put it in your Bible, use it as a bit of a bookmark. And we begin with one of those wonderful probing questions, and it's this. Prayerfully ask yourself, what is one thing I could do this year to increase my enjoyment of God? Now, that's not an easy question. It's not one you can casually read through and then be dismissive of it. Take it home. Cut it out. Put it in your Bible. Come back to it. Begin to read it each day. What is that one thing I could do? The other questions that we're going to touch on, we'll deal with in greater detail in subsequent weeks. And we're asking, what is the most important way that I will, by God's grace, try to make this year different from last year? How would you respond to that? Number three, what one thing could I do to improve my prayer life this year? What are the habits I need to build into my daily routine? What is the most humanly impossible request I will ask of God this year? That's carefully structured and worded to help us to go a little deeper. What single thing do I plan to do this year that will matter most in 10 years or in eternity? That's quite a question, isn't it, in terms of our long-term growth in our faith? Which biblical doctrine do I want to understand better this year, and what will I do about it in order to understand it, appreciate it more? And finally, what is one thing I could do this year to enrich the spiritual legacy I will leave to my children and my grandchildren? And when we are no longer here and subsequent generations look back, what is it they will say of us? What is it that will stick in their memory? What is that one outstanding attribute they will remember? So, we'll touch on these in subsequent Sundays as we move forward. I've mentioned that we are working our way through John's Gospel and we used a little different image in the front of our worship folder this morning, and it's called John's App. And we quite deliberately put an app from a cell phone, that image right there, to remind us that as we're spending these Sundays in John's Gospel, we've put it there to say that there is always an area of intersection between our faith and our daily living. Sunday morning, as we open up and study God's Word together, we do it in order to live out our faith during the week. One flows out of the other. That's why Sunday morning is so important to us. And we put it that way quite simply because I am reasonably convinced that if John was writing his gospel today, John would use the digital tools that are available to us to communicate the love and grace and goodness and the wonder of God. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Now, when John was writing his gospel, John was 80 years old. He was an 
older adult at that time. And if John is anything like me, he would probably need a nine-year-old next-door neighbor to help set up WhatsApp and explain to him how to use it. But nonetheless, I do think he would absolutely use it because he was eager to communicate all that he had experienced of Jesus and to tell as many folks as possible about the love and grace of God. And as we come to this section of John's gospel, John highlights the identity of Christ. In the opening of John's gospel in an area, verses 1 through 14 or 15, it's called John's Prologue. It contains some of the most profound theology to be found anywhere in all of Scripture. I'm choosing that language very carefully, and it is. It contains some of the most profound theology to be found anywhere. And John starts his gospel with those wonderful words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here is John introducing Jesus to his reader for the first time. Not in terms of nativity. John doesn't start, and we mentioned this back in December, that John doesn't begin his gospel by focusing on Jesus and Mary and Joseph and angels and shepherds and wise men in Bethlehem. He doesn't start there. He doesn't start with nativity. John starts way back in eternity, in the beginning. And so, having spent the first part of the chapter focusing on God's work in eternity past, he is eager to establish eternity, and then he moves us from God's eternal purposes and plans from all eternity to identity. And he highlights for us the identity of Christ. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'd been focused on the eternal nature of God. He'd been focused on Christ's relationship with His Father. Both are one, both are co-eternal, co-equal. And here is John slowly moving us on from God's plans in eternity past to his identity in Christ. Several years ago, in fact, almost the best part of 30 years ago now, I heard an older colleague on a Sunday morning ask the question, when was God at his best? And he kept asking that question and repeating it throughout his sermon. And it had such an impact on me that I thought about it down through the last 30 years. And if I were to ask you this morning, when was God at his best? Is there a place in Scripture that you might turn and say, God was at his best right here? Would you immediately go to Genesis? Would you think of, in the beginning, God created? He spoke, and the world was made out of nothing, ex nihilo. He spoke, and it was so. Is that when God, in all of His creative, regenerating power, was at work? Was He at His best then? And when you think of God and His creative power, 
My imagination tends to go to central and northern California. If you've stood beside a giant redwood tree, you realize it's the best part of 300 feet tall. The tallest is 278 feet. It has been around since before Christ was born. And it's right there, northern California. And as you drive from the coast, you head over towards the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, and the landscape changes, and you begin to feel the altitude change as you move towards Yosemite. And you come through the tunnel, and for the first time, you see Yosemite Valley with Half Dome and El Capitan and the cathedral. It's right there. It is absolutely breathtaking. And you look at it, and you think, here is God at work. It is spectacular. Is that when God was at His best in all His created order? And some of you are saying, well, Richard, you're making a compelling case, but I'm not convinced. And others of you are interrupting me in your mind, and you're thinking about that old hymn you sang as a child. And in your mind, the refrain is running through, and you're saying, further along. Further along, you'll know all about it. Further along, you'll understand why. Richard, he wasn't at his best in Genesis. Spectacular, unprecedented as it was. Keep going. Further along. As you leave Yosemite, you go east to Grand Tetons, breathtaking again, further east to Yellowstone, wildlife and landscape. That You run out of superlatives. Was God at His best right there? Or was it in Exodus when an 80-year-old shepherd heard him call for the first time when he was quietly looking after his sheep. He believed that God had abandoned him, and in loneliness and isolation for almost 40 years, he had no sense of the purpose of God. And then from a burning bush, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. What would you give for such an experience to be there in the presence of the Lord God Almighty? Is that when God was at His best, working out His eternal purposes, bringing to pass His purpose and His will, about to send Moses back to Pharaoh? Was God at His best in the call of Moses and the subsequent plagues and His redemptive work in Egypt? allowing them finally to leave bondage and slavery put behind them? Or was it when he stood on the banks of the Red Sea and the water came up lapping over his ankles and he held his hands up and God in all his sovereign power and dominion parted the sea and the people of God walked through to safety and protection in a promised land, a promised land where ultimately would come a Savior. Is that where God was at His best, fulfilling His eternal purposes? Was it Exodus? No. You need to keep going. 
Take another step. It's further along. Further along, you'll understand why. Was it Psalms? Where countless millions over the centuries have found the comfort and healing touch of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down beside green pastures. He restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no ill, for you are with me. Think of the comfort and the renewing and regenerating power of God in those deep, abiding, intimate moments. Is that when he was at his best? Or was it Daniel? Surely in Daniel, when God working in and through Daniel infected and influenced an entire nation, ultimately allowing the people who were being held in captivity to go back to Israel. Is that when he was at his best? Was it in the lion's den when there was no hope and no protection and no safeguard, and for all intents and purposes, Daniel's life was over? Daniel, man of God, who moved and influenced the leaders of his day, was about to lose his life. But in the providence of God, his hand was upon Daniel, and the eternal purposes of God continued. And they kept moving, and they moved further along and further along, and then another step. When was God at his best? Personally, I'm tempted to think, and the Scripture doesn't tell us this, but in my somewhat vivid imagination, I tend to think it was the first time the seraphim and cherubim who worshipped God day after day, every moment, when they first heard that he who is transcendent in majesty, he who dwells in unapproachable light, he who lives in purity and sinlessness, when they first heard that he would come into this world and the sinless Son of God would be given for our sin, and he would be laid in an animal's feeding trough. Would you be tempted to rebellion? Would you be tempted to say, this is impossible. This could never be. This is a mistake. Someone's got this wrong. And here was God. He who was and is and is to come lay in a manger not celebrated, not rejoiced in, not applauded, not welcomed? Was God at His best in the incarnation? You need to keep going. You have several more steps to make. Was it when He enabled dumb to speak? 
and regenerated those vocal cords, the blind to see, the dead to come back to life, born of a virgin, lived in Galilee? Is that when God was at His best? Earlier, I asked the question, what is the one thing we could do this year to enjoy Him more? And when you enjoy someone, you appreciate them. You love them. You are thankful for them. You understand how special they are. You seek to grasp the enormity of their character and what they mean to you. So, let me ask, could it be that this year, still in these early days, your deepest prayer and greatest longing is, let me enjoy you more as I appreciate you in all of your fullness? Let me enjoy you in all of your immensity. Let me understand the enormity of why Christ came into this world. Help me to get my head around it in order that my heart responds. Is that your prayer? Because if it is, let's go that final step. Let's go to the place where he was at his best, the place where all of history held its breath and gasped as they sought to understand the magnitude of what was taking place and stand at the foot of the cross and look up and understand again Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's when he was at his best. Coming into the world for my sin. Coming into the world to bring forgiveness and his cleansing power and his enabling grace. That's when he was at his best and our prayer cannot stop it. Let me appreciate. Let me enjoy. Let me grasp the enormity of what you have accomplished. It also means this. Allow me, please, to fully understand the depravity of my own sin. Help me grasp the enormity of your love that would cleanse and remove it and allow me to know you in that deeper, richer, fuller way. That's when he was at his best. And when you get there and when you're ready to wrestle with him and prayer. And when you're ready for him to move to that next level of intensive, radical surgery, to change heart and mind and soul and will and motivation, all of that happens at the cross. And then you're ready for one final prayer. Then you're ready to say, take me back on Easter Sunday. 
Let me stand in the shadows and listen and watch. Let me get a sense of what it means to hear the angels say, He is not here. He has risen. That's the power of His love and His grace. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this morning as we gather around this table, we are reminded this is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. And that is why we stand forgiven at the cross. Let's pray together. Father, we freely confess that we can never plumb the depths of your love or will ever fully be able to grasp the enormity of your love for us. Enable us, please, this morning as we gather around this table to feel again your goodness and your grace. Forgive us, cleanse us, renew us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.